Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're, today we're going to talk about Miss Bunkle's book by D.E. Stevenson. And in this episode, I will reveal that I have been writing a book about uh, the Good Story podcast. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and the drama oh, no. and the drama that has occurred in our community uh, <laughs> since the beginning. Look, I'm sorry I kidnapped your cat. Uh, it was a mistake. <laughs> I admit it. I, I feel like I've got some insights that yeah. need to be shared. <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> but only the truth. But only the truth. Yeah, that's fun. What a cool oh. book this is. So this was written in, oh, I had it popped up here. It was like 1934. Um, I'm glad you by, liked it. Yeah, I really did. By D.E. Stevenson. Yes. Um, yeah, who, uh, let's see, looks like she was born in 1892, died at the age of 81 in 1973. Um, Scottish. <laughs> love it, love it. But what a fun book. How did you come across this one? My mother had it, but to be fair, I have seen this mentioned on Goodreads a lot of times. Cool. Just people I know saying, this is such a fun book. And my mom was rereading it, and she said, I really think you'd like it. So I started it, and it was surprisingly engaging. It so was, yeah. I wasn't sure how you'd feel about it. I wasn't sure if it was just kind of like, you know, a woman's story mm -hmm. kind of thing. But Is it a kissing book? <laughs> no, no that's kissing. The, that's the question. Yeah, no, it was good. It was very good. Um, good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was funny as heck. It just made me laugh often. Yeah, as I was reading it through this time, so this is my third time through, and I thought it's really kind of like a screwball comedy in a way, or a Jeeves and Wooster book. Yeah. It's just mm -hmm. things build and build and build and all kinds of things are happening all over the place. This one is a little more, has a more serious thread going through it, I think. Yeah, I think so. Because it's just different. But it's still funny and all the circumstances that happen just, I don't know. I just, yeah, this yeah. is her masterwork, I think. <laughs> is it? Okay, because I, I saw when I looked her up, there was like 40 books. <laughs> so yeah, I well, don't think I've run across her before. Well, and I say masterwork, like I've read more than about eight of them or okay. five of them or yeah. something. But anyway, the other ones I've read have been good, but not like this one. Cool. Yeah, so. this is this is awful good. It does look like it's one of her first ones. Not not her very first, but mm -hmm. amongst her first ones. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's really great. Yeah, there's it has a lot to, to talk about uh, publishing and stuff, too, as if, you know, she was an old hand. Um, well, yeah, you feel like she's using a lot of her own experience. And so when I was telling you, I felt like this book kind of mirrored, um, well, I guess we should wait and talk about the book itself, but sure, there are sure. things about this book that I feel like apply to maybe her career or to even us reading it a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I think we'll so. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> we shall see. We'll see. We'll see. So, yeah. so, so really quickly, the book is, of course, about Barbara Bunkle. Well, it's about a lot of people, but she's the main person. And times are hard. Dividends that we're getting paid on stocks are going down, down, down. And 
she could only think of a few things to make money and writing a book seemed to be the easiest one. (laughs) I'm like, who thinks this? But anyway, so which shows she's a bit naive and innocent and she lives in a small village named Silver Stream. And so she writes it about a place called Copperfield. Is that as right? you would. Yeah. 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 yeah as as you, you would. would. And so uh-huh. basically this book that she writes causes an uproar because she has thinly veiled all the people in it and written the first part of the book kind of about them. And then the second part she wrote kind of what she'd like to see happen to all these people. <laughs> and when it comes out, these people all recognize themselves and each other. And there is quite a hullabaloo because She's written it anonymously. No one knows that it's yeah. not a man named John Smith who John wrote it. John Smith wrote it, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And so you get it from her point of view, the publisher's point of view, who's a fairly small publisher, you get the idea. and But he's really relishing the fact that this book takes off and becomes a bestseller and mm. everything going on. And then you see all these different people who are affected by it, for good or for bad. It either inspires people or it insults people. <laughs> and what do they do in either yeah. one of those situations? And sometimes is, it, uh, it uh, infuriates someone and then inspires them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's really masterfully done in the way that people react to it. So mm. that's a lot of the fun is, well, the whole book is fun, but a lot of the fun is in the second half of the book, seeing what happens to it. And one of the things that is... Um, was interesting to me is for the second half of her book, what she has happen is she calls him a golden boy, goes through the village, piping a flute. And when that happens, people start acting atypically. And so the publisher calls her book Disturber of the Peace. Hmm. Yes. Because as people see themselves one way or the other in the book, and this is the book that she's written, they act in atypical ways. And so what we're seeing is the people in the village reacting to however she she did things with their lives. And I think that's more than enough, probably. Um, <laughs> did bet. I give too much away? No, not at all. Not at all. If, if okay. I was going to describe this book to someone, um, you know, it'd be you know, pretty much everything you said. But it's like, it's a book about, <clears throat> in fact, the the original title of... Uh, Disturber of the Peace, which is the book that's Miss Bunkle's book. The book inside yeah. this book is was Chronicles of an English Village, and <laughs> so it is about this small town um, and all these people that are either deeply offended, like you said, or inspired by this book that somebody wrote, and they're trying to figure out who wrote it. And uh, you know, some people are just really mad, and um, but yeah, but just this small town, this community of people that are interacting with each other and um it's funny and uh yeah i mean that, that's that's exactly what i'd say about it but this 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 piece of it that i wanted to make sure was this english village piece is such mm-hmm. a huge part of it the small town um you know and all of the i mean so many small town novels that i've read throughout the years this is like one of those <laughs> you know what i mean so it's it belongs in that subgenre of uh, you know, village or small town novels. Right, right. With all the types that you recognize. Yes, yeah. The bluff uh, military colonel retired. Yeah, the, the vicar, the vicar. Yeah, yeah. the vicar, the, um, the 
the lady who runs society there yeah. and keeps everybody under her thumb. All those <laughs> types are there because mm. we've all run into those types in all the communities we've been in. Yeah, and they're all named Miss Featherstone Hog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if they aren't, they should be. <laughs> they should be, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly what I'd say. Okay. Um, so, so go yeah. read this book. And have it's, fun. Yeah, it's <laughs> just funny and light, and I have to recommend the audiobook is really, yes, really good. it is really good. Um, yeah. In fact, I, I looked it up here just because I wanted to be able to say who read it. Her name mm. is <clears throat> Patricia Gallimore, and she was terrific. She was very good. Yeah, really, really good. Really fun. Um, yeah, and um, have you – so this is not the only Miss Bunkle book. They're actually like a little group of four. And mm-hmm. you said you read the next one um, just before removing the spoiler territory. Was that? I did. And don't tell the title. <laughs> I was going to say, even the yeah. title is a spoiler. You're mm-hmm. right. And it was, you could see what was being done, but it wasn't as good. Yeah. Okay. Just not quite. It was still very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Just not quite as good. And I feel like I've read the fourth one. Isn't that called Mrs. Well, I can't tell the title of that the one. The fourth either. one is the, oh. Uh, no, the Four Graces is the fourth one. Oh, I've read the yeah. Four Graces. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I thought yeah. maybe I'd read the other okay. one that's in between them. Gosh, so many Very spoilers. <laughs> okay, spoiler territory. Too fun, too fun. All right, now we're in spoiler yeah. territory. For okay. Sure. Great. Disturber of the Peace. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, so, yeah, so Mr. Abbott is the publisher in town, you know, it's so cool. You know, everybody lives in this town, but you know, you have the idea that this book is, you know, selling widely, you know, this thing by John Smith, but I, I really loved, uh, the very opening of chapter two. It just made me so happy. (laughs) Are you going to read it? Yeah, I'll read it. You bet. Good. Okay. Um, Mr. Abbott looked at the clock several times as he went through his business on Wednesday morning. He was excited at the prospect of the interview with John Smith. Years of publishing had failed to dim his enthusiasms or to turn him into a soured and bitter pessimist. Every new and promising author found favor in his eyes. He had given up trying to predict the success or unsuccess of the novels he published, but he went on publishing them and hoping that each one published would prove itself a bestseller. Last Friday morning, his nephew, Sam Abbott, who had just been taken into the firm of Abbott and Spicer, suddenly appeared in Mr. Abbott's sanctum with a deplorable lack of ceremony and announced, Uncle Arthur, the feller who wrote this book is either a genius or an imbecile. (laughs) Something stirred in Mr. Abbott's heart at these words, a sort of sixth sense perhaps, and he had held out his hand for the untidy-looking manuscript with a feeling of excitement. Was this the bestseller at last? His sensible publishing businessman self had warned him that Sam was new to the job and had reminded him of other lamentable occasions when Mm -hmm. authors who had promised to be swans had turned out disappointing geese. But the flame which burned within him leapt to the challenge. And, you know, (laughs) from there, he he reads this book. It's called Chronicles of an English Village. And, you know, he's up at 2 a.m. He's still reading it. He still doesn't yeah. know if it's good yeah. or not. But he, you know, and that's what it says. And then uh, later, as Mr. Abbott turned out his light at 3 a.m., about 3 a.m., and snuggled down comfortably in his bed, his mind was already busy on the blurb that should introduce this unusual book. So, um, yeah, this is just great. And this John Smith is Miss Barbara Bunkle in real life. 
Well, and the thing I like is that everybody reading it who is smart at all says this person is either completely innocent or uh, very sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. I can't decide which it is. <laughs> and I keep thinking they're like they either wrote this with complete innocence like this love scene or completely tongue-in-cheek as a satire. And I'm like – I would love to read a sample of this. I can't even imagine what they're talking about that makes it so funny, but yet also could flip and just be pure straight from somebody who never had a romance. Mm. You know, it's just everybody says it. And so I'm thinking Miss Bunkle has a very unusual nature, therefore. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's it's right now it's making me think of people who are – well, not prophets, but they have a quality they themselves don't recognize. Mm. Because later on, we see her when she's inspired and in writing the follow-up book to Disturber <laughs> of the Peace. Well, she'll be at a big party, and then she'll go home and tell her maid, make me some strong coffee. I'm going to stay up and write all night. And she just she can't even stop and eat. She's so taken by what she's writing. And that part is all the invention part. But it's just taken her brain over. Yeah. yeah. It's just interesting to think about how this – Writer D.E. Stevenson is talking about Barbara Bunkle as a writer, (laughs) and how you, yeah, yeah, how you just get taken over by this stuff and you just start writing. And how much is inspiration? How much is it? It's planning. Nobody knows. Yeah, and that, and and Barbara Bunkle keeps saying that she can only write about real things. She's she laments her imagination. You know, uh, later on when she's writing the sequel, especially, she's just like, you know, I, I can't write anything that's real. In fact, it gets her stuck at the end, you know, and, and when she's writing the second book, she doesn't know how to continue. Um, but I, I think we may have just discovered a, a theme that I hadn't thought of. And it's interesting that Mr. Abbott has this sixth sense, right? He's, that's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's like Barbara has some kind of a sixth sense, too, that is just... Um, her ability to write about these people in the real way, like the way that they really are. Um, she's got something about her that can see that, you know, while she's living in, you know, in a small town where everybody's pretending to be whatever, like people do, you know, like putting on their masks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody in town thinks I'm a rich person or something like that, you know, and uh, when they're actually not in real life, you know, for example. Um, or I'm really well, in love with this person and nobody knows it, but actually people do know it, you know? Well, yes, or she can really see how things should be. Hmm. Because, for instance, the major and Dorothea Bold, <clears throat> Dorothea Bold for four years has been like taken with him and going, I'd really like to marry him, but not really ever getting his attention and not, not being obvious about it, but he's just so oblivious it takes the book where um, Barbara Bunkle is writing about how he sweeps her off her feet and they, you know, go off t- to wherever and get married and all this stuff. And he's like, he doesn't even realize it's about him. He mm-hmm. thinks, oh, this is just like some guy I knew in India. Yeah. This is this is perfect. <laughs> and then he's, but then later he he's kind of, his imagination is kind of captured by, well, I'm lonely too, just like that guy was. And there's Mrs. Bold right over, you know, Dorothea Bold right over there. And she doesn't have anyone. And I should help her with this or that. And he's falling into the pattern that is so natural to him mm. 
that Barbara Bunkle was kind of inspired to do that because when Mr. Abbott says, how did you come up with all this? And she goes, I just felt like they were all so smug. I wanted to shake them up a little bit. <laughs> so she doesn't even realize what she's doing is actually a natural extension of what their own personalities are. Yeah. But it is. Right. And in that sense, I feel, as I was reading this the first time, I thought, this is just like the prophets. Mm. Oh, I love that. The disturber yeah. <laughs> of the peace who goes through the village, they're the ones who don't come to, uh, what, what is it? They uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> yes, right. And that's just what her book does. Mm -hmm. So, And it's what God does. He comes through and shakes you up and makes you look in a mirror and go, look here. Yes. Look from this angle. Those pants do make you look fat, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, you know, shining a light right on yourself and making you see yourself in a light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, yep, this is something that you should work on, perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that's beautiful. So I like, um, you know, so Barbara writes this book. And, um, you know, the first, I don't know, it doesn't quite say exactly how long, but it's really, uh, uh, you know, this Disturber of the Peace is the title of the book, but that title was changed by Mr. Abbott. Um, right. And again, it was Chronicles of an English Village, right? But he calls it Disturber of the Peace because in a certain point in the novel, this golden boy zips through and there's a couple of paragraphs that I think are really good oh, to yeah. kind of show that. <clears throat> now, one of the things that... You know, I've only read it this one time, and quite quickly, I might add, because uh, I was kind of behind. But there's so many names and stuff at the beginning. It, <laughs> yes. it would bear a reread where, um, now that I know who everybody is, to reread at least like the first part, because a lot of the stuff where it kind of tells you what they're, what's going on in the novel or in this little first part. Um, but there's this person named Sarah Walker. And yes. she's reading it. So I'm in chapter five. She's reading the book. And she was at the very first of this chapter, it says that Sarah was the first one to read this book. And uh, then you come upon, there's this part with the golden boy. And it says, uh, so this is Sarah reading the novel, <laughs> uh, Disturber of the Peace. So this, what I'm about to read is uh, her describing what's in the novel. But <clears throat> the golden boy piped on through the high street and up the hill. And then down again past the vicarage and the old church, which slumbered quietly by the river. Wherever he went, he left behind him unrest and strange disturbance. People woke up, cast aside the fetters of conventional behavior, and followed the primitive impulses of their hidden natures. In some hearts, the clear, sweet music woke ambition. In some, it woke memories of other days and prompted kind actions. Some of its hearers were driven to acts of violence. In others, it kindled love. At least John Smith said that the music kindled love, but Sarah Walker, who knew something about that commodity, something more, she suspected, than John Smith, would have said that the emotion which the boy's pipe kindled in the hearts of its hearers was not love at all, but passion. <clears throat> and I love it. That's such a great description. It is. And then after this, things began to happen in Copperfield. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so now yes. it's like incredible thing. Yeah. So now you take this pastoral, here's a small town, isn't it amazing? You know, and then now this golden boy comes in and disturbs the peace, right? Right. And uh now really shakes them up like you were just saying. And um and then the book itself does that for everybody in town. 
Because like yes. you said, like you said, everybody in town, some of them are like, who wrote this thing? You know, I, I need to find out who wrote it and they need to be punished. And then you have uh, people like uh, like the major, like you said. Um, what is it? Was it Colonel Weatherhead? Is that right? Oh, yes, because yeah. it was. He was the major in the book. But the, in, the names are always related because, yeah. like she says, this is where she doesn't have much imagination. Yeah. So it's Sarah and Doctor Walker, but it's Sarah or it's somebody and Doctor uh, yeah. Ryder. Right. So it's like she's always changing them just like that. Not yeah. not too much. So Colonel Weatherhead is the person's That's, real name, and in okay. the in the novel Disturber of the Peace, his name is Major Waterfoot. Oh, okay. I've been saying Weatherhead yes. Waterfoot, yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So I've been saying major and it was colonel, but Right, right. So but they're the same the person. Idea. Same person, yes. Yes, exactly. Well, and the thing that's so funny is the ones who are insulted, the things that they're insulted about are really bad character faults. Yeah. And they can't stand it's not necessarily that they they don't like having their faults exposed is what it is. In private, they probably don't realize that, um, like, Miss King, who <laughs> she's the one who was really funny. She And she's one of these people who you find in a lot of the books of this age, like Agatha Christie's will have them too. And um, it's two female friends mm. who live in a house because they can't make ends meet otherwise and they don't have family to live with or anything. So they, you know. They mm-hmm. keep house together and they're good friends. And so she's the very dominant personality of the two. And, uh, but in the book, let's see, it was that they were going to go to Samarkand, she and her friend, I can't remember the friend's name. And she was highly insulted. And I guess that's like Egypt or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, some, some exotic place. Mm-hmm. And she was highly insulted and said, it's full of vice and, Arabs and all this stuff that's awful. And she was telling um, the publisher this because she wanted him to retract all the books. And he goes, no, adventure and camels and, you know, fun stuff, treasure. And um, later on, it turns out her friend is has got very bad lungs and needs to get out of that damp climate. And they do go to Samarkand, or at least that's what they tell everyone. They embrace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. she is seeming to think that they're being accused of something. Right. And nobody in this book ever talks about that. No one in any of these books, these English books that have these kind of people ever talk about that, um, mm. that there could be something else going on. And I don't think it ever occurs to anyone. Mm. Yeah. These days you read it and you go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but those were more innocent times and you have to read it in that context. But um, Stephen Bulmer finds out he's an inconsiderate tyrant <laughs> to his wife and children. Mm. all at the service of his writing. Yes. And I mean, my heart was breaking for those little children. Mm. Never allowed to make a noise and everything. Uh, Mrs. Carter, hers is, seems milder, but see to her vanity that she wears a wig and puts pectin in her plum jam when she says she never does. These are little village things, of course, <laughs> but it's her vanity. And uh, Mrs. Featherstone Hogg is just a harpy. Oh, yeah. she's a, She just puts on airs and keeps everyone she's under her thumb. Favorite. She's Oh, she was wonderful, wasn't she? She was just awful. And I loved her husband. Yes. Who was, but you were a chorus girl. (laughs) I had lines. Oh, yes, you said this. Oh, my God. You had one line. Yeah. And, yeah. And then um, the Snowdens, 
which was a family of people who the mother, I guess, was very down to earth and a basic person. And they've all put on great airs and they spend all their time complimenting each other and promoting each other to the rest of the town being very fancy. Yes, yes. So these are all the people who are insulted. And all these things are flaws that any of us can have. But, you know, you don't like it when you might not even realize you have this fault. <laughs> Mrs. Featherstone Hogg knows she's got her fault and That's she doesn't care. Yeah. But I don't think the Snowdens knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly Mrs. Carter had no idea people knew she wore a wig, could even tell, <laughs> or put pectin in her plum jam. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so not only are you having everything that you thought was hidden exposed, but sometimes you're seeing things about yourself like Stephen Bulmer does. But how he treats his family. And then the inspired, like you said, it's the Colonel and Dorothea and um, Mr. Featherstone Hogg, who when he's being picked on so much by Mrs. Featherstone Hogg, he finally reads the book. And it's because a lot of people will hear about the book and they won't do anything. But once they've read the book, they're galvanized into action. Mm-hmm. And he reads the book and he's like, that's it. I'm changing my will. <laughs> Yeah. She's like, oh, crud, I better be nicer because I need that money. Oh, man. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Mrs. I liked Margaret Bulmer, who read the book and was um, so sorry and ashamed for her husband. She goes, because he was exposed in his nakedness to everybody. <laughs> yep. And um, then she saw, oh, this is, she's being represented as somebody who's desperately in need of love. And she goes, and I am. Hmm. And she started crying. Yeah, but it wasn't yeah. bad. It was just she then knew herself better and the whole situation better. She could see more clearly. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. I just love it. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just really great. You know, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And Mrs. Mrs. Featherstone Hogg <laughs> is who, you know, her name in the book is Mrs. Horsley Downs. And uh, yes. I love it. She's like... Um, I'm looking at a paragraph here. Nonsense, says Mrs. Featherstone Hogg. Uh, this thing is a libel. It is not only a libel upon me, it's a libel upon the whole of Silverstream. <laughs> I've got the whole of Silverstream behind me. They're all bring actions, you know. So she's like rallying everybody, trying to get everybody to rebel against this thing and against the publishing house. And um, she wants to do... Uh, proceedings or whatever you call those against the Abbott and Spicer. Right. Yeah. Libel. Libel. On libel suit. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, (laughs) Oh, uh, it says here, um, at this stage in the proceedings, Mrs. Featherstone Hogg had completely lost her temper in her defense. Be it said that she had been having a very trying time for the last 10 days. Disturber of the peace had disturbed her peace most thoroughly. <laughs> the foundations of her social position in Silverstream were shaking, and her social position in Silverstream was of supreme importance to Mrs. Featherstone Hogg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I love it. And then she spends the rest of the, rest of the book trying to get people to, to get on her side. Um, I'm trying to remember who, who it was that she was talking to that uh, – um, it must have been the colonel, <clears throat> you know, because she was trying to get him to read it or something, and right. and saying that you know you should be reading this thing, and he's like, why would I do that or or whatever? But anyway, yeah, I think she finally got him to do it. Yeah, 
Why would I read a book? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I love that. And then to contrast that with, like you said, um, uh, was it Sally? Um, yeah, that, the with the, love? the niece. No, the granddaughter, Mrs. Okay. Carter's granddaughter, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was really good stuff too. But it, it was like a contrast, you know. So all these people have these different reactions. And uh, like I said, you know, uh, springing love in some people. I mean, there were three couples here that that, that ended up pretty cool. And, uh, um, you know, some people anger, some people love. And then uh, Sarah was the one who said, no, it was passion, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and Sally is Mrs. Carter's granddaughter. And you mentioned her in the vicar. And Sally's not in the book because Mrs. Bunkle, Miss Bunkle didn't know her. Mm. When she wrote the book, but she knew the vicar and she knew the, um, oh gosh, what's that woman's name who gets her claws into him? Oh, she yeah. needs Virginia, somebody, mm. wasn't it? And she needs Vivian. That's it, Vivian. Vivian. Okay. Yep. And she needs money. And this vicar looks like he's rich. And um, so she's going to get him. And so she's, of course, faking everything and he'd be most desperately miserable, but she's doing a good job of it. And then Sally comes to town. She has to stay with her grandmother for a while. And Sally blows in this breath of fresh air. Miss Bunkle loves her because she can just see things the way they are. And she's she's got such a different point of view from all these very provincial people. Because she's gone everywhere with her father, who's in the military. And she's got a wider vista. And one of the things I liked is what she said about the book. Um. So uh, she said she was saying how funny the book was, mm. and she was telling Miss Bunkle this, and nobody knows Miss Bunkle's the author. Did you think it was funny? Asked to the author with interest. I should jolly well think it is, replied Sally. But to me, it's not just a funny book; it's something far better. Is it? It's a kind of a kind of allegory. Continued Sally gravely. Here's this horrible little village, full of its own affairs and its own importance, all puffed up and smug and conventional and satisfied with itself. And then suddenly their eyes are opened and their shackles fall off and they act according to their real natures. They're not shams anymore. They're real. It's simply marvelous, Sally said, turning a shining face upon the astonished author. Barbara's heart warmed at this unsolicited praise. She had heard the child of her brain maligned and anathematized. She had been obliged to sit dumbly and hear it called filth. But now, here, at last, was somebody who appreciated its worth. Mm. Barbara looked at Sally with affection and respect. He's wakened them all up, Sally was saying. Wakened them all up and made them see themselves as others see them. Of course, that's what he meant to do. Have you read it? Yes, said Barbara. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, and then yeah. she goes on get, and starts guessing about the author and, of course, completely wrong about everything about the author. Uh, but um, but it was that thing of wakened them up and they start acting according to their natures. Yes. Right. And it's yeah. just it's just wonderful that way. I I love that part of it. And I have to say, for me also... I feel like that's what happened once I found God and then especially once I converted to Catholicism and had some kind of a framework to kind of look at, kind of like those people looking at this book, right? You see, here's the good stuff and the bad stuff, and you can kind of see yourself, weigh yourself against it. 
one way or the other. And you kind of, oh, here's the path I need to go down. And it allows you to act according to your nature, but in a better, according to your better nature. I think so too. It allows you, yeah. yeah. Well put. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that that's terrific. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the Catholic Church is just full of ways, full of uh, moments in which, you know, seeing yourself uh, in a different light occurs, you know. Um, Right. And, uh, you know, like Lent, for example, um, (laughs) it it just gives you just a way to, to do that, to change something, to... Um, you know, see what this means in your life by taking it away. And, um, you know, just on every Sunday, I mean, we hear stories every Sunday that hopefully we see ourselves in because we're invited to do that, invited to see that, invited to be inspired, invited to be changed by it, and invited to act on it, you know. Um, that's what this book is doing. This book in a book is inspiring these characters to action, um, some of them right. in a very good way. And, um, you know, that's what should be happening for us every Sunday. Um, well, yeah, because yeah. sometimes what you're, of course, discovering is, oh, crud, I see myself in this and I'm not loving it. But mm-hmm. here are ways out. Right. Yeah. And, of course, always with the grace of God, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have your intentions and you try hard and everything. And then with God's help, you can do it if you're lucky. Um, but. The other thing is, is sometimes what you get is a boost you didn't expect. You get the idea of, oh, I'm not as bad as I thought. And not that you're better than this because you're better than someone else. It's just that, oh, golly, this, I got this right. This is something I love or something is my nature or something like this. And, and it's something that God gave me and I can love in myself or that I've, I've worked toward and it's, it's been a good thing, you know? So it goes both ways. I mean, we, we tend to, of course, first think of Lent because that is the testing point, right? Mm -hmm. But it it goes both ways. There's also Easter after Lent is Easter. Absolutely. Yeah. And the celebration. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when we, when we see ourselves, it's not all negative, you know, sometimes there is something there, right? Um, right. You know, <laughs> it's, it is both, right? Yeah. You know, I think, uh, as humans, we tend to remember the negative. Um, that's the more naturally easy, you know, it's like you, you get, uh, 10 pieces of praise and one, uh, complaint or criticism. And what do you remember is the criticism. Oh. Always. Yeah. Right. Right. Isn't that funny? It is funny. Well, um, yeah, because what I was thinking of is when I was saying, well, sometimes you get to see the better part of your nature. And in this book, that's actually Barbara Bunkle because she wrote herself into the book as Elizabeth Wade. And (laughs) which is really funny, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, she didn't make herself so much a part of the book that anybody suspects her. They just go, oh, well, it's Barbara Bunkle. And they say this all the time. They go, oh, well, it couldn't be Barbara. She's nothing. (laughs) She's a no one. Mm -hmm. She's a cipher. She's so quiet. And what they don't know is by then Barbara's gotten used to thinking about people as characters. And so she's busy just sitting there going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, drinking it in, going, oh, they could do this. They could do that in her book. And But when she needs more self-assurance, she kind of somehow wakes up. 
in whatever she's doing and turns into Elizabeth Wade. Yes. Yeah. Fact, Confident, she says, yeah, self-assured. She says, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry to interrupt you there. No, go ahead, please. Um, no, because, yeah, she actually says that to herself. It's almost like, I am Elizabeth Wade right now. Um, yeah. You know, in her actions in, in this town. You know, so not only is she, you know, that character is her in the book that she wrote, but she's that character. She plays that character. It's like how she how she does an air of confidence is assuming this character, you know, yeah. when she's out in the world. You know, I'm going to be Elizabeth Wade right now, and, and here I go out into the world. Um, interesting. And she's not yeah. even pretending. She just becomes that person. So that's obviously something that was there. And she loves it because she wrote it in there. So she just is able to identify with it so much. She just does it. Yeah, that's interesting. And you like her getting to do that. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise she's shy and insecure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's advice you get sometimes. It's like, you know, hey, if you want, if you want to be seen this way, then act that way. <laughs> and then become that way. Oh, right. right. You want to be right. a saint, act, act the part, you know. Be that way. Yeah. You know? Wasn't it Kurt Vonnegut Jr. who said, you are what you pretend to be, so mm. be careful what you pretend to be? <laughs> yes. That's right. And that's what, what do you want to be? Be a, You want to be a saint. Yeah. You want to yeah. be Elizabeth Wade? You want to be whatever, <laughs> you know? And the other thing that's interesting about that is, is that everybody's, oh, she's nothing. She's nobody. Nobody cares. Mm. About, I mean, you know, she's perfectly fine, but she's not smart enough to be John Smith. She's not all these things. And the fact that writing actually changes how you look at the world. Mm. And you you write. Yeah. Or yeah. off and on, I, I yeah, know. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it you, changes you things, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it changes your focus. You suddenly find yourself with a second set of thoughts going on a lot of the time. Yeah, that's. I like that. Yeah, that's true. And then I, yeah, I can use this. Yeah. Right. So it's just interesting how doing something creative like that, because I write nonfiction, you mm-hmm. write fiction, yeah. which I think would be even more immersive in that way. But even for nonfiction, I find myself thinking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I loved how uh, there was even a part in the book where Barbara Bunkle confessed to someone <laughs> at, at the at the children's party, right? Um there was a, a like a kidnapping. It, it was it was almost a tongue in cheek kidnapping. Oh, you never yes. you never felt like the kids were in danger, but somebody no because it was like the Keystone Cops kidnapping exactly. Somebody. So they kidnapped these twins and um, and uh, it's it's basically you know I'll give them back when you give me the author of this book, kind of a thing. And and so Barbara Bunkle is called on the phone because. Um, who was it who did that? Uh, They've accused her friend, uh, Sarah, who's the doctor's wife. Okay, yeah. And that's her twins that they kidnapped. Okay, I'm trying to remember who called, um, who called Barbara. It was like, I need someone to... was it Sarah? Was it, was it, it could have been Sarah. I guess it could have been. I know that Sarah was the mom. But anyway, so somebody calls, uh, but anyway, and how she, they called her was interesting too. She was like... I need someone to talk to, but I don't know who to talk to. Who is left? Who's who's here that I can talk to? Oh. And it was Barbara, the name that came up said, Okay, I'm calling Barbara. So she she calls Barbara and then um says, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And Barbara says, Just just hang there. Yeah, you're right, Sarah. I'm looking at it right now. Sarah called. She calls Barbara's number. Um 
But yeah, it says, uh, let's see. Um, poor Sarah, who could she get? Ellen King would have been the person, but Ellen King had gone and Margaret had gone and Dorothea was honeymooning in Monte Carlo. There was Barbara, oh, right. uncle, of course. Barbara was the nice, kind creature, and it was she who had warned Sarah that some deep scheme was being laid to her undoing. If only I'd taken it more seriously, Sarah thought as she lifted the receiver and called Barbara. And then Barbara comes running, and then right. she says, Sarah, I'm the one who wrote the book. And Sarah's like, no, you aren't. <laughs> Just stop it. She goes, oh, that's sweet, and I wrote it too, and the yes. twins helped. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's like, no, no, I wrote it. You can tell them that I wrote it. And she's like, no, don't do that. I'll tell them I wrote it. They think I wrote it. Let's just keep doing that. You know, uh, that was funny. Yeah. Well, because so. at the end of the book, they go, no one knew. It was her. Nobody knew. And Sarah says, oh, I know. She told me months ago. And then she thinks, but I didn't believe her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just fantastic. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but yeah, just too funny. But that that's a nice statement too, you know, from an author um, about, you know, who people think can write and who people think can't, who think, who people think yeah. should write a book and who people think shouldn't, <laughs> you know, it is a thing. It really is a thing, you know, where that, uh, people, you know, have those opinions of each other, you know, like, oh, that person, you know, would that person, you know, would never write a book. And, uh, you know, it's just like, <laughs> I know it's not writing, you know, but whenever there's like a crime, you always see the people that say, well, it was the nicest people just next door. I, I, this is a real shock to me. It's like, yeah, yeah it's the quietest Well, one. because, right. Well, mm -hmm. and of course, you know, in one sense, they're justified because I'm thinking about it, realizing, of course, Barbara didn't know she could write a book like yeah, that. Yeah. She didn't even know what she'd written. She just bundled it up and sent it to Mr. Abbott because his name starts with A, which really <laughs> took him aback. He's like, oh, that, or the publishing house started uh, with A. She goes, well, you were first. And that is too oh, funny. That's okay. Funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she kind of has a way of puncturing all pretension just through her own naivete and innocence as we've said before and so she until mr abbott starts talking to her about her book and she sees the effect it's had i don't think she realizes her abilities right yeah you know because she's just kind of just going along even when we watch her writing the second book she's just going along so therefore <laughs> no one else probably really realizes it either but yeah. you know you would think her friend Sarah would know that she could be funny or perceptive, or maybe she just had never talked like that around them. There are people yeah. who are so quiet like that. Yeah, still, still waters run deep, right? Yeah, yeah that's just it. That's just still and yeah, observing, taking it in. Yep, and then uh, it's really collecting. And <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's what she means by saying she has no imagination. But of yeah. course, she does. Just not for things like names, you know, or personalities. She has to write it about people she sees, but um, then she can take it and go real different places with it. Yeah, that's fun. And, and then I what I like it. is yeah, the way the book boomerangs back around. And the second book hmm. is, as Mr. Abbott said when he was reading it, it's a book about a woman writing a book about a woman writing a book. <laughs> and he goes, he couldn't think about it too much. Uh, he was just going to read it, you know, it's yeah. like, it's too deep. But um, but at the end, the book 
influences him and Miss Bunkle. Yes. Because the natural ending for the characters in the book is a wedding, and she just hadn't thought of that, but he had because he'd fallen in love with her and wanted to marry her. Mm. And so he says, here's what should be the ending of the book, and then he writes that down for her, and then he writes her a letter proposing marriage, (laughs) and he sends them both off to her house. Yeah. And she's like, oh, it's the perfect ending. Oh, marry me. Hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute. And she does, She has to go away and walk around in the fields for like three hours while mm-hmm. she decides what she's thinking about all that. Yeah. And so in that sense, her own book and him contributing to it the way he did has thrown her for a loop in the way it threw all the people in the village for a loop. Mm. So she's winding up in the same situation so it's like a boomerang i i just you yeah, know, throw just it out there it. and it came back and hit her in the head yeah it's so cool i really yeah. liked it because she yeah i did too i, th- I think it was just so smart it was like um you know she reaches a point where she can go no further because there's nothing else real to say but it's not finished so she's stuck you know and, and i love that like you know and then they gave it to mr abbott who read it and was excited to read it couldn't wait and um yeah, like you said, he says, oh, I know the perfect end of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then so it's she... a perfect ending for that book, and it's a perfect ending for the one we're reading at the same time. Right. Like how it's just great. Yeah, so it was good. really so skillfully written. And the fact that you wind up wishing you could see pieces of the book, but then you'd have to read the whole book just to yeah. the piece. So yeah. it's better to just have it described so you can just imagine. Yeah. But the thing, too, is that everything that she said in that book, I keep thinking about the baker who they start off with this baker woman worrying about the delivery boy on the route and how to get the fresh rolls there while they're still hot and everything. And um, Miss Bunkle writes that it's something in the book about, like, the buns had electricity in them or something. They were just zipping with electricity. Mm. I think it was just everything was energized. And that baker woman cannot, and she said, my buns were full of electricity. They are not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everybody got upset. It was, they were all disturbed by that book, by Miss Bunkle's book. That's right. That's right. No matter what. Oh, fun. Yeah. That's just great. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then uh, we forgot to mention the name of that second book too is The Pen is Mightier. Yes. <laughs> Which is perfect, right? Because yeah, yes. it, it actually affects their life. So um yeah. It, and it is mightier. <laughs> yeah. It, it, mightier it is, than it the is sword. A, yeah, that power of story, you know, too. Mm-hmm. That's that's just um that's it's a it's a nice little commentary on that. You know, what, what story can do to folks, you know, when they see themselves in it. Powerful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we as readers do all the time, isn't it? You know, when, um, I don't know, the most powerful stuff is that that speaks to us, and that that speaks to us is really touching us somehow. Um, You know, with the characters, there's something going on there that we're relating to. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, when you read fiction, you're you're able to see other lives in a, in a way, you know, that you wouldn't, if you don't read, (laughs) you know, you're, you're, you're getting all kinds of viewpoints, uh, thinking about how other people think, um, seeing how other people live. Yeah. And just through reading the story. I mean, it's, you don't even have to sit and do the kind of stuff that we do talking about it. Mm -hmm. Just reading the stories does that because that's how we're built. I mean, 
That's yeah. just part of our nature right. is we love yeah. stories and they're so powerful. Yeah, absolutely right. They are powerful, you know, since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> In the beginning. In the beginning, yeah. Was a powerful story. And, yeah, um, yeah and Miss Bunkle's book, I guess, I hadn't really thought about it that way, Scott, until you said that. But, yes, it's an illustration of that whole thing. It's the power of story because this book is one that uh, the book that she writes, Disturber of the Peace, when you read the reviews from the different papers, which are positive or negative, they're seeing different things in it, too. Mm. Well, there's just a bunch of trash, and it's so full of passion and this and that. And Miss Bunkle's like, what? I don't <laughs> think I put any of that in there. And then someone else going, this is so prim that even a child could read it. <laughs> just like, well, no, I don't. Well, how did this person write this one and that person wrote that one? And, of course, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's the story speaking to people in different ways. And, of course, they're making fun of reviewers. Yeah. And their predispositions and everything. But that's also us as people, whether it's movies or stories or songs that are, you know, telling us a bit of a story. Mm. That's we just respond to that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> it, it's so great. Um, yeah. And I'm glad you liked it. I really did. And, and I'm looking here so... I noted um, Storms in a Teacup by Jay Farrier, which was Miss hmm. Wayne's book. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see. Oh. And um, so was that another book that was written? I'm trying to I don't work that know. out. I'm trying to remember. Or is this? No, this. Oh, I'm sorry. That was Inside. Inside the book, The Pen is Mightier. Elizabeth okay. Wade wrote a book. <laughs> and Elizabeth oh. Wade wrote a book called Storms in a Teacup. And she wrote it, and it was by Jay Farrier. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. So that's the uh, uh, that's where we get to that thing you said. Mister um, Abbott had never before read a novel about a woman who wrote a novel about a woman who wrote a novel. That's it. It was like a recurring yeah. decimal. He thought, or perhaps <laughs> even more like the perspective of mirrors, such as Taylor's use, in which the woman and her novel were reflected back and forth to infinity. It made your brain reel if you pursued the thought too far. But there was no need to do so, unless you wanted to, of course. So much for the main theme. Too good. Yeah. And, of course, that's exactly what the book is doing. So, in that sense, D.E. Stevenson is putting all her own reflections in there, too, about that. Yeah, that's And I think that's what makes this book maybe better than some of the other ones I read. Or maybe, let's just say, I liked it better. Than some of the other ones because it's just got those multiple levels that just you bounce back and forth. Like I said, it's kind of like a boomerang. You throw it out there and something else comes back. <laughs> it's just kind of fun that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'm looking at, uh, it says she wrote most of her books while living in the town of Moffat, Dumfries and Galloway in Scotland. Her novels were and bestsellers. Seven million yeah. copies printed. Yep. And some of them are set in Scotland, so mm-hmm. um, that that fits. She writes about what she knows. Oh, and, and she's nice... uh, let's see. Her oh, father, her father was David Allen Stevenson, a lighthouse en- a lighthouse engineer, and first cousin to author Robert Louis Stevenson. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, how cool. How cool is that? Yep. <laughs> that is great. Yes. 
Yeah, her novels, uh, the other ones I've read, I thoroughly enjoyed. They're just not quite as as multi-layered to me. And I, like I say, I've only read a few others, and this makes me want to go out and get some more because they're thoroughly enjoyable. They're the kind of books that if I'd been reading her during the pandemic, mm. I, you know, and the library was open, that was a, such a black time when the libraries were closed. I, black I can't time. think of it without yes. a shudder. <laughs> it was uh, a terrible time. Yes. Good for the bookstores. I was mm. having to buy a lot of books. But anyway, um, I would have read a lot of these because they're they're great fun. Mm, yeah, they definitely are. Uh, at least mm-hmm. this one is. Yeah, mm-hmm. really cool. Another another thing you've introduced me to that I never would have run across. So. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks so really much. Really, am glad. Yeah. Oh, it's you're so welcome. Fun. It's always fun to talk about them too. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. They really, just adds so much. Um, but yeah, Copperfieldians. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> or silver streamians. Uh, Either one's terrible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> silver streamites? No, that doesn't work. I like um, uh yeah, so the publishing house was um Abbott and Spice. Okay. And uh yeah. in the book <laughs> the pen is mightier. She called it nun and nutmeg. Oh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> the spicy firm. This yeah. spicy firm published Miss Wade's yeah. book. Yeah. Too funny. That's so funny. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, that's just a recurring <laughs> joke throughout how the names she picks for the other people. Oh, yes. They're wonderful. So, yeah. Too fun. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, even Farrier. Isn't Farrier like a... What is a farrier? They shoe horses. Okay, so yeah. Don't they? Yeah, so it was Smith. Smith Kinda was... like the blacksmith. John Smith was the name of... Oh, and now it's Jay very Ferry. good. Oh my gosh, I did not even get that. <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah. Oh, that is good. Yeah. Way to go, yeah. Stevenson person. Yeah. Dorothy, is that yeah. name? Yeah, Dorothy. Dorothy Emily Stevenson. Oh, okay. Yep. There very we go. Cool. Very good. Well, yep. thank you. Yes, loved it. Oh, <laughs> this, so this, glad. this will uh, this will be reread too because uh, oh, first good. of all, it's it's pleasant, but it 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 needs a reread because the uh, like I said, a lot of the stuff at the beginning was just so many names being tossed, and it was just like yeah, and then we're moving on to the next person. It was a little hard to hold on to, but then as you right. got in, suddenly you know everybody you know was all cemented in, and, and yeah, it kind of comes into focus at that yeah, point, right? Yeah. So yeah, I know, now that I know his... everybody, it'd be fun to reread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, I don't know if you have a print copy, but your wife might like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I've got a Kindle. I can share that with her. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that she would. I think I do think. In fact, she could. She's on my Audible account too. So. Oh, the, there you uh, go. In fact, I'll tell her list. In fact, it's a, yeah. She would love it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Too fun. Too fun. All right. Well, now we're going to go where no man has gone before. Where no one has gone before. I'm sorry. No yeah. one. Because I'm it sorry. was no man last year. Now it's yes. no one. Yes. <laughs> Let's not year. get all, all you know, genderist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so last year we did an episode where we talked about Star Trek episodes from the original series. And uh, this year we're going to talk about some Star Trek episodes from the next generation. And we picked four of them. 
Oh man. Yes. I've been rewatching these. I just have one left to go. These were so good. Boy, did <laughs> oh, we choose they're well. Fun. They're fun. Good. So, going to pat us on the back on this one. Oh, <laughs> well done. So good. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Darmok. And then we're going to talk about I Borg. And then the Inner Light. And Yesterday's Enterprise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Too fun. All Too fun. Good. Yeah. I'd love to know uh, if anybody else has a favorite TNG episode that, oh, yes. that you think uh, it would be worth talking about. I would love to hear it. Yeah. There's so many yeah. good ones. So many good ones. Yeah. And it's going to be a while. We're almost done watching through the next generation in our household. And mm-hmm. then we'll, of course, go on to Deep Space Nine. Oh, cool. Good. I'm but it's going to be a while before I get far enough along. So yeah. no, if enough people came up with good episodes. Uh-huh. That's we cool. could do another one just on those yeah, oh, sure. in a year or so two, maybe. Are you watching them once a week at your house? As much as we can. We've okay. kind of been thrown off by events. But ah, yes, yeah. we usually watch one a week. And we've been one doing it for a, what, That's a cool. long time. It's like, yeah, yeah. 79 weeks. Yeah, I mm-hmm. can't remember. Actually, isn't there 100 something episodes of when there's seven seasons of something? Yeah, that's like a hundred and hundred and seventy episodes. And it's thirty something episodes or twenty six something like that episodes a year. Yeah, yeah. It's right. it's a lot. That's a and lot. um yeah, and we started at some point after Rose moved from LA back home, that's when we started mm-hmm. watching Star Trek. Fun. And we did that once a week. I love so it. we worked our way it. through because I was thinking this has been too long. But no, it's because we went through Star Trek. Yeah. And then we started right off with The Next Generation. And it must mm. be, we must have started this over three years ago because my poor mother has been with us for <laughs> most of the ride. <laughs> That's too funny. I, I can't believe that you two. haven't graced our uh, the internet with a podcast on every episode with oh. you and your daughter talking oh. about Star Trek. <laughs> I'd have to get Hannah in there too. Absolutely, I mean, let her rip. Oh, how yeah, fun that would be! Oh yeah. my gosh! Yes. Well, I have to say, I rewatched one, and I'll be bringing this up again. But you know, I was like, Guinan goes to Picard's room, and he's getting ready to settle down with a good book and a glass of brandy or something. <laughs> and I'm like, he's still got that V-neck kimono on that they think he loves. Can he just pull it a little tighter up right now while he's got company? <laughs> This is too low for comfort. Oh, that's funny. That's fun. <laughs> that's the kind of thing we would be talking about. So maybe it wouldn't be as fun as you think it would be. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, you fun. should have heard us talking after we, our household, watched the episode where Captain Kirk thinks he's an Indian, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of, a lot one of the harsh, greats. Harsh yes. commentary there oh, on the shoot. how long, how many times the shirt came off and so oh, forth. So, that's right. you know, <laughs> you bet. Oh, gracious! Oh, running tally. That's too fun. <laughs> oh, Star Trek anyway. is good. Star Trek is good. It is so good. And I good can't wait you. to talk about it's this. It's good for you. Yeah. So yeah, let's <laughs> talk about it. Yes, for it sure. is. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Well, oh, thanks goodness. so much for listening, everybody. Yes, yes. Thank you. (laughs) Talk to you soon. We'll talk to you again soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) 